All right. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I am good. Uh, glad to be here with you all this morning. Uh, we're in our last week in our sermon series on prayer, uh, and I've personally been very, very in, uh, challenged and just kind of encouraged by. It. I feel like God's been doing a lot of really cool things like that. So, have y'all have y'all enjoyed this series? Three people, good. Some of y'all were like, we're in prayer. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not judging, all right? Um, but it is very good to be here. So before we dive in, uh, I wanted to really quickly thank everybody who uh, partook of the science fair uh, here at Campbell uh, this week. Um, it was a fun event. There will be several pictures on our Facebook page just to kind of show you some of the projects, the people involved. But uh, it's always really a huge blessing to the school and to the city for us to really partner with the school in very uh, purposeful ways. And so it doesn't seem like much when you're just kind of judging a third grader's work and you're not really sure what this even means, right? But it really does do a lot for the school and it does do a lot for the city as a whole and for the families. The families see that, hey, look, we love the kids. We want to bless them and um, really blesses this area. And so I just really want to thank you guys. Uh, every year I like to show one picture from the science fair. Uh, it is either a project that I was deeply, deeply impressed with or that moved me a lot uh, to laughter. This was the... <laughs> now remember, all right, this is the science fair, and what they're supposed to be doing is like testing a theory or trying to figure out something. All throughout this board, there were just these pictures of dog face, is what they called it, but dog faces, little origami pictures that they had folded and made just a bunch of dog faces all over the place. That was my favorite one. If I fold my paper right, it will turn into dog face. <laughs> That's just great, all right? Hopefully the parent of that child is not here today. I apologize. All right. um, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to start off. We're going to bounce around a little bit uh, today, and so um, we're not going to camp out there, but we'll start there. If you don't have a Bible... There should be one under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to take and keep that Bible if you don't own the Word. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Scriptures, to use them throughout the week. And so uh, please take and keep that. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, if you have the YouVersion app underneath the Live section, type in the Well Austin, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there's notes, places for the Scripture, the polls, all that stuff's going on. Um, if you don't have YouVersion uh, or can't find it, you can also just take that link. It'll be up there for a couple minutes, and you can uh, put that into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way. We want you to be able to look at the Word of God, all right? So that's why we have all these different means to do it. We want you to see that what we're saying is not just coming from us, but it's actually coming from the Word that we're trying to be guided and directed by it, all right? We sit at the start of our sermon series that prayer at its base is simply communion with God. All right, that's actually the, 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 the tagline underneath the prayer series is communion with God. It's communing or fellowshipping with the God of the universe, allowing him to kind of pour water on the desert hearts of our souls. Right, like, like God to nourish us, to, to bless us, and then us in turn lifting up him and praising him and asking him who is the giver of all good gifts for these gifts and really honoring his name. And so we talked about the great prayer or the Lord's prayer as most people call it uh, and how this is a good base or a good guideline, if you will, in ways that we should pray to God. We talked about the often forgotten corporate prayer and the importance of corporate prayer. And then we had a really, really encouraging, a really fun prayer and worship night 
tonight to kind of go along with that. Uh, We talked about personal prayer and sort of the mystery of personal prayer and how we can really seek God on our own. Um, What does it look like to be praying to God, to ask him for things, to to trust in his sovereignty at the same time believe that he wants to give good gifts to his children. And then we talked about evangelistic prayer. What does it look like to pray for the lost? What does it look like to pray for those who don't yet know Christ? What does it look like for our hearts to be like Jesus's hearts and to really break over people who don't have a relationship with God and try to um, help them see him more and more. And so every week we've been focusing though in all of those, specifically our conversation with God or us talking to God. Like that's been the focus of all four weeks, right? Like how do we talk to God? How do we, how do we communicate? What does it look like to talk to him? What does it look like to ask him for things? And this is totally fine, all right? Because it really is a huge, huge piece of prayer is us speaking to or seeking God. But if prayer is communion with God, which is what we're saying it is, or, or fellowship with God, if it's talking, then it has to be a two-way street in its nature, right? One person, all right. You tracking with that? Okay, if, if there's conversation going on, it's got to be a two-way street, right? Like, like how many of you guys know someone who just kind of dominates conversation, who talks too much? Real quick, before you raise your hands, if it's your spouse or your friend that you bought, don't raise your hand, all right? They'll know that you're talking about them, all right? I'm not trying to set you up or get you in trouble. You could just raise the hand of your heart, kind of, all right? Like, how many of you know, look, if it's a 43-minute conversation and somebody talks for 41.7 of those minutes, you don't really have good conversation, right? It's more of a monologue or a sermon, right? And so uh, you know that person. That person probably thinks they have great conversations, but they just kind of dominate. I know that because I am that person a lot of times, all right? Like, you know that you talk too much when you get tired of hearing your own voice. And that really does happen to me sometimes. So I'm like, bro, shut up, man. Like, it's done. But like, I can't. It's like a disease. I like have to keep going, right? And so uh, because you all are walking with me on the sanctification process, The sermon this week will be longer than the past two weeks where I have not taught, all right? But God is massive, all right? And so if you agree that there takes two ways, that conversation is a two-way street, right? It's not just us dominating conversation, but God is actually talking to us too. And God is as massive as we say he is in scripture. Like when we look at God speaking, things happen, right? Like Genesis chapter one, there is nothing Bara ex nihilo is the Hebrew. What it means is there was nothing and out of nothing he created something. And what he did was he just spoke. And he said, let there be, and then exploded light into the world, right? Exploded the, the animals and the plants and the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the galaxies and dark matter and light matter and neutrons and things I don't even understand scientifically. All of the creation came and then he said, hey, let us make man. And he made human and flowers. God speaks and powerful things happen. When God talks, very, very powerful things happen, okay? So if we're saying communion with God is a two-way street, if we're saying it's us talking to God, but it's also God talking to us, then this must be something very, very powerful that we don't think about a lot. Because when God speaks, big things happen. And in many Western contexts, all right, I will admit that prayer, like talking to God, makes a lot of sense to us. We're comfortable with that because it's something that we can do. Hey, do these things, and then boom, you can talk to God, and we can kind of check off the box, and we're comfortable with that. But God doesn't fit into the little paradigm that we can control, right? Matter of fact, with the mind, God actually created the mind. God is the one who created the mind that we so often try to put him inside of. And so it's important to remember that look, it's a two-way street. Not only do we get the privilege and the wonderful mystery of speaking to God, 
but God also speaks to us. And this is profound, that a creator of the world, the creator of the universe, would talk to you and to me. This is a profound thing. This is wonderful, beautiful, kind of scary, honestly. Awesome, awe-inspiring. So that's what we're going to be focusing on in our last uh, sermon in the series of prayer is, hey, what does it look like for God to communicate with us? How, how, how does prayer look if he's going to be talking to us as well? All right? So you ready to dive in? Let's go. Ephesians chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 14. We just read this. Let's look at it again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul's praying here, all right? From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love this prayer so much because Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have a deep, beautiful, real, intricate relationship with the God of the universe. Like not this sterile Christianity, but they would actually know God, that they would know them not just with their minds, but they would know him personally. They would know him in their hearts, not just an ethereal concept God, but they would actually interact with him in a relationship. Like this is what Paul is praying. Not just that we would know God, oh yeah, I believe that God exists with my mind, but Paul's saying, no, I want you to know that in your hearts. I want you to interact with him, right? I want you to, to know him. And so we talked about corporate prayer a couple of weeks ago and how it takes all the saints to know the fullness of God. And we see that there in verse 18, together with all the saints, we would know the breadth, length, height, and depth of the love of God. So we do this collectively, but then also we see here in this prayer that God wants us to know him, verse 16 says, in our inner being. In our inner being, not just conceptually, but in our inner being, not just with our minds, but our hearts. And then in verse 17, he explicitly says, and with our hearts. Like God wants to move past this sort of mind knowledge, which is important, by the way. This is a very, very important thing to be doctrinally sound about who God is, is valuable, it's important. But he wants to dig down even deeper into the depths of who we are. Our inner being would be filled with the fullness of God. Look again at verse 19. I love this verse. Verse 19, that we would know something that is unknowable. What is Paul praying there? That we would know something that, that we would know something that actually surpasses knowledge. That we would have this interaction with God, that we would know him intimately, yet he is never able to be fully known, that we would be filled with God. Paul wants intimacy, he wants connection. Paul wants you to know God. Not just in your minds, but in your hearts. I mean, this is deep. This is real. And, and if this is real, if this is possible, if this is true, if we can know God, if he's really knowable, then what happens is, is we move past this sort of checklist Christianity. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I got to pray because that's what Christians do. So I'm going to pray, check. I'm going to read the word, check. I'm going to go to church, check. We move past a, a checklist Christianity, a check in the box type of Christianity, and we move into a deep, intimate, real experience with God. The God who said, let there be in everything that you're going to go outside and see today, the sky, the, the grass, the trees, that that was all coming from the mouth of God. You can know somebody that powerful that beautiful, and you can know him in an intricate way. Immediately we see this as move into something deeper and real. God is not just impersonal, not just an idea, but a person that we can know. 
And God has given himself to us that we may know him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, I love this. You don't have to turn there. But the Ephesians were, were already filled with God. What it says that, uh, and God who has filled you all and in all. But now he's saying they could be filled even more. So he's saying, look, I already know you're filled, right? But you could be filled even more. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this passage, at one level, Christians have these things. Like if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you have the full knowledge of God. You have all love. You, you have all joy. Like, like he is literally dwelling inside of you and one day you will know him forever. But Jones goes on to say, at another level, they haven't fully experienced them yet. There's a lack of experience, a lack of connection. Tim Keller says of this passage, what Paul is talking about is the difference between having something be true of you in principle and fully appropriating it, using it, and living in it in your inner being or in your heart. Like Tim Keller is saying, look, look, we're talking about experience, we're talking about something deeper. We can go deeper in our relationship with Christ. We can know him more. We can have more of him. Now, how many of you in here, okay, would say, I, I want more of Jesus, right? Three people, good job, all right? Rest of you, sanctification needs to happen, all right? Like, you would say, I want more of Jesus. How many would say, I, I want more love? All right, half of you, we're getting better, all right? How many would say, I, I want more joy, yeah? I want more peace, I want more hope. Listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus is love. He is joy. He is peace. And Paul is saying we can have more of Christ. Every single thing that our heart desires and longs for, the things that our soul thirsts after, can be found in Jesus. And Paul is saying you can have him. Not just intellectually, you can experience him. You can have more of him. You can know him in deeper and deeper and in more and more real ways. This is actually part of communing with God, is the tasting and the receiving in your hearts more of Christ. It's the tasting and the receiving in your hearts more of Christ. Now you may think, okay, well, wait a minute. This has nothing to do with God talking to us. This isn't like, like where are we going here? Like, I thought we were talking about God talking to me. And you're right, we are talking about that. God talking to us, okay? But... Oftentimes, I do not have to talk to my wife to feel very, very, very connected and intimate with her. We could just be in the same room together, right? Like we could just be sitting down together, not saying anything, and for whatever reason at that moment, I feel a deep sense of love, a deep sense of connection, a deep sense of intimacy, right? For those of you who are married, I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Or even if you're dating somebody, even if you've broken up with somebody in the past, you probably know. There are times you just want to be around the person, Right? Like you just want to be around them. And get, look, this is what we're saying. You can have God. This is part of communing with God is you experiencing him, him being close to you, you being intimate with him, you knowing him in real and in beautiful ways. And so if this is true of God, that he can dwell in you and with you, and if he can give you more of himself, if he can kind of ignite the passions and the affections of your heart in ways that all the ecstasies of the world couldn't even come close to, if this is the God we're talking about, the powerful God, the creator God, like, this is important, that we would connect deep with God, okay? Now, some of you are super, super duper logical. You don't get the heart thing, all right? This is like, I don't even agree with this. You're trying to find ways to disprove this in Scripture. So here's what I want to do, okay? We're going to go through a bunch of different passages in the Word that talk about this. What I also want to do, though, is I wanted to try to pull out some of the best Christian thinkers in human history, all right, like men that, like if you've been in the Christian faith for a while, the men that I'm about to name, you know these names, all right, and these men were deep, 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 deep thinkers, and I want to see, hey, what do they think about prayer? Because we're not just talking about an emotional high with no real substance, 
You know what I mean by that? Like, I, I, I don't want an emotional high where there's actually no substance there. Like, emotion with no truth is nothing. It's fluff. But truth and emotion, when they marry together, when there's this brain and a heart connection, when everything collides together, this is what we were made for, was true intimacy, true knowledge, intellectually, emotionally, everything together, our souls, our inner being, our hearts moved by God, okay? So I want you to think about who's saying this. Blaise Pascal, a great Christian thinker and philosopher of the 1600s, all right? He kept a piece of paper sewn inside of his jacket. And when he died, they, they found this paper. Now, some of you, Pascal, he had Pascal's wager, right? Like he was a thinker, he was a philosopher. This is what was most dear to him. He said, in the year of 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about a half hour after midnight, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and not of the philosophers and of the learned, certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. Pascal experienced God. And he didn't even know how to word it. He's, he's just trying to say something. He's, just, he's trying to figure out a way to, how, how can I explain? It was, like, it was like fire. Now he's not talking about literal flames, right? Like his room didn't catch on fire and he was like, God, right? But he felt something, right? He, he experienced him. He was deep. What he was saying is what I only knew in the abstract before just became extremely real. And he sewed it into his jacket and wore it his whole life. Dwight L. Moody, a minister and evangelist of the 19th century, he was founder of Moody Bible College, wrote this. One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience, all right, to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. It wasn't that Moody wasn't a Christian before. Moody was a beast, right? That means he was really, really good if you don't speak urban, all right? Like, it was that for a brief moment, okay, he was filled with God. Like, what he was preaching about, how he was drawing people to himself, for a moment, he was filled with him. I can't even explain this, he said, but it was an experience so real to me. He lived as we one day all will live when we're in heaven with him. Like, that moment that he experienced is what we will, if you have professed faith in Christ and believe in him, will experience through all of eternity, is that type of intimacy. But it became real to him in a moment. God revealed himself to him. Now, it'd be easy to count these off as kind of one-off experiences and, and mystical happenings that, that we don't really need to look forward to, right? But if this were the case, why would Paul even pray this prayer in Ephesians 3? Like if this was just a one-off experience, this was something that's really not common that for the normal folk, you don't really get this experience only if you're a beast in Christ. Why would Paul pray this? Like what he should have said was, I, I know most of you aren't ever going to experience the fullness of God. But boy, you have something to look forward to, right? And I think you and I could have read that scripture and been like, man, I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds really good. And we probably could have studied it and been like, yeah, we have something to look forward to. But Paul's saying, no, no, we can experience this. Peter says this. We'll go through a bunch of other examples. But all throughout scripture, we see this, all right? John Owen. If you know who John Owen is, the two things I'm about to read are going to blow your mind. John Owen said, the spiritual intense fixation of the mind by contemplation of God in Christ, that by itself shows you that this man is a thinker. I don't even know what those words mean, all right? <laughs> Until the soul be, as it were, swallowed up in admiration and delight and being brought unto an utter loss through the infiniteness of those excellencies which it does admire and adore, 
are things to be, listen, aimed at in prayer. These are things that you should seek in prayer and which through the riches of divine condescension are frequently enjoyed. If that's not enough, listen to what Owen said. Okay, the next one. It is better that our affections exceed our light from the defeat of our understandings than that our light exceed our affections from the corruption of our wills. This literally blew me away. This literally blew me away. This is a remarkable statement. What he's saying is, if you're going to choose to be imbalanced, it is better that you would be doctrinally weak and have a vital prayer life that your affections and your heart's emotions would be stirred with the love of Christ. It, it is better to be weak that way than that you would be doctrinally strong, but your heart be dull, dead, and sterile. That's what John, o- John Owen, like for those of you who know this, this is astronomical, right? A great, 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 great Christian thinker, okay? I can spend, I, have, I had a ton of examples. I had to cut a bunch because we'd be here till like two, walking through all these examples. I want to look at one more, okay? St. Augustine, all right? Can we get more of a beast with the mind than St. Augustine? No, okay? St. Augustine, listen, was uh, known for formulating or for putting into words, if you will. It's not like he found these theories. They were in Scripture. He just expressed them in ways that we can understand. Original sin, all right? The just war theory. And listen, the Trinity. (laughs) Like, Augustine is known with helping us understand the Trinity, okay? He is a deep thinker. Here's what he says. But what do I love when I love thee? Not beauty of any body, nor the rhythm of time, nor the brightness of light so dear to our eyes, nor the sweet melodies in the world of many songs, nor the perfume of flowers and ointments and spices, not manna and honey, not limbs so delightful to the embraces of the flesh. None of these I love when I love my God. And yet, I do indeed love a light and a melody, and a fragrance, and food, and embracement when I love my God. The light, melody, fragrance, fruit, embracement of my inner man, where there shines unto my soul what space cannot contain, and there are musical sounds that time never bears away, and there I smell a perfume which no wind disperses, and there taste what eating diminishes not, and there cling what satiety divorce not. This is that I love when I love my God." And so part of communing with God, part of talking with him, is his presence producing ecstasy in us. For the Western thinkers, that just makes you really uncomfortable. But scripture is loaded with this. The great thinkers of Christian past say this frequently, that God's presence would produce an overwhelming desire in us, right? There are whole books written on this, right? The, the affections of the soul, Right, where, where these managers are pouring or pleading with us, okay? And so we spent a more majority of our time here thinking about kind of how God even interacts with us because I think it's important as our base moving forward. I want to show four other ways in which God often interacts with us, all right? We're moving way closer to the finish line. We're not like right in the middle, all right? This is more toward the end, so don't lose out on me, okay? But I want to look at all the other ways. But I wanted to spend a lot of time here because I think it's so important because for so many of us, we just have a check-in-the-box Christianity, Friends, you can know the God of the universe. Like God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit, when you profess faith, is now dwelling inside of you. There is intimacy to be had and truth to be known. There is compassion and affections to feel and a deep knowledge of him. We get all of this wrapped up in Christ and too many of us are sterile, dead, and dull in our affections for him. 
And then we wonder why the word isn't good or prayer isn't good or we're not moved to talk to God or, or to even come to church or we're not moved to sing songs to him or, or we just do it out of obedience. Listen, it's because we're thinking only with our head. God can interact with us in real and in deep ways, okay? Number two, sometimes communing with God is his presence producing overwhelming fear in us, all right? Some of you are like, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about good things here, all right? We are, I promise, okay? This is a very, very good thing, all right? It's just backwards for a lot of us. It's not the way we think of it, all right? Go over to Job, if you will. So Job chapter 38, um, while you're turning there, Job was uh, an awesome man. Matter of fact, Satan went up to God, okay, and said, God, the only reason that Job isn't like cursing your name is because you've just blessed him. Let me do what I want with him, and then he'll curse you. And God said, you can do what you want. He ain't going to curse my name. And now, now the next 34 chapters of Job is Job's suffering, all right? Job becomes for us an example of long-suffering, of endurance, all right? There's a lot of importance there. We won't go through the theology of Job. But then toward the middle and as you get toward the end, Job kind of begins to get a little bit snarky at God, all right? Like he's like, if I could go up to God, I would show him that I'm right. Now, let's be honest. God's actually the most powerful thing, so I couldn't do anything. He's stronger than me, but I would show him I'm right. And Job's friends are like, ah. Right? They're not even giving him true truth. They're just like, I wouldn't say that, bro. Right? And so this goes on for several chapters. And then here comes the Lord. Then the Lord answered Job, verse 38, chapter 38, verse 1, out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Whenever God comes and tells you, dress for action like a man, You don't want to be in that conversation, all right? Like, God is about to lay into Job. Then he goes on for a whole two chapters. It's like laying into Job, right? He's like, hey, what are the mountain goats doing right now? Since you're so wise, since you're so smart, since you think that you can find fault in me, what are the mountain goats doing right now? Oh, you don't know? Well, I know because I'm with you and I'm there with them, right? And God starts to lay out the bigness of who he is. Then chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then listen to Job, all right? Listen, God's talking to Job. There's communion going on here. Maybe not the way we always want to experience it, but there's communion happening. Job says, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I'm so sorry, God, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? And so when I was in college, I was thinking about this story. When I was in college, uh, I was a freshman in college. I've been saved for a few years. And there was a season in my life where God felt very, 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 very distant from me, okay? And so I, I was kind of frustrated at God. And at first it was just like the word was dead. I mean, I was in the word every day, but it was dead. I was praying, it was dead. Uh, I wasn't hearing his voice. I didn't feel like he was guiding me into anything. I didn't feel the presence of God. I started getting frustrated. And so what I did in my great wisdom is I put up a sticky note on the side of my bed and I started tallying off every day God wouldn't speak to me. The great wisdom was a joke part, by the way, all right? I started telling, God, look at this. It's been 37 days. You still haven't said nothing to me. I'm in your word every day. Like, you need to show me something. I'm getting tired. I'm getting exhausted. I'm getting frustrated, right? And I'm being honest with God, okay? You know, day 48, God, what are you doing, man? Where are you at? Day 57, I mark it off. I start this whole spiel again. I'm like, God, I'm so tired of this. Why don't you just speak to me? Why? I'm in the world. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I felt God say to me, who are you that I should talk to you? 
And literally, I was at the edge of my bed, and I like fell on my knees and started like bawling, right? Like I looked like something was wrong with me, okay? Like I started bawling, and I was like, who am I? Like God doesn't owe me anything, but that's when I, I was approaching God. God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm reading the word, I'm praying. You owe me something. And God said, who are you? I thought, who am I? And that communion with God was so sweet to my soul because it produced an overwhelming fear in me. And what it made me realize was God's a lot bigger than I give him credit for, right? God's a lot bigger than I give him credit for. God knows what the mountain goats are doing right now. He knows what the children's ministry is doing right now. It's in the same building and none of us know. Unless you're a weird parent that has like a camera in there and you're like watching us, all right? <laughs> if so, I think that's illegal. Don't please undo that, all right? <laughs> all right? But God is big. He's in control. It's a good thing. What it did is it took me away from myself and it made me focus on the bigness of God. It took me out of my little tiny box. God, you owe me, God. I want to feel this, God. If I don't feel this, then I'm getting frustrated. And it made me realize, no, God is good. Sometimes God's presence produces an overwhelming fear in us, but that's a very beautiful thing because it puts us in our right place and puts him in his right place and it makes our hearts worship. And that's what our hearts were made to do. God is big, God is in control. We don't have fear though like we're staring at death. We have fear like when you stand at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and you realize you're really, really tiny, right? And you look at that and you are overcome with an awe with an admiration, that's what it's like to stand before God in that way, okay? Third, sometimes communing with God is God revealing who he is to us and his character to us. So sometimes when, when God speaks to us, when he communes with us, it's him revealing who he is, it's him revealing his character, all right? Go to Exodus chapter three. Um, in this story, Moses is up on the mountain and he's, he's talking to God. He, he saw a, a bush burning that, that wasn't consumed and he was really curious about what that was. And he walked up and he starts talking to God, interacting with the Lord. And the Lord says this in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Okay. Once again, as I was thinking about this, I thought about a story where uh, I was uh, at the top of our union in Bowling Green. Okay. And I was reading something in the word and literally, I'm not even going to share what it was because it was so elementary. It's really silly. Like 98% of you guys probably know this. All right. But I had never realized it before. And I was reading and it was like God like helicoptered a little like atomic bomb of information in my brain and it just like exploded. And I, so this is what I did. I stood up and I was like, this, this can't be true. Right. And I start walking over this way and then I'm walking over this way. I'm holding my head and the railing. I'm on the second floor was like this high and I almost fell off. Okay. Like I was like, so like, Oh my gosh. Right. Sometimes God reveals something about himself to you and it produces that same ecstasy we were talking about. God showed me something about him that I had never known before. And it altered my whole life. It made me realize that God is beautiful. God is big. I didn't realize this awesome thing about God. Then he showed it to me and I realized, at least in a small sense, how true he was. Actually, it really rooted me in my Christian faith a lot of way because it made me realize, look, I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. I need God in my life. I can't do this on my own. And it altered who it was, okay? My brain like almost exploded and imploded at the same time, right? Some of you in here are like, ah, that's impossible, okay? <laughs> No, it's God, all right? He'll, he'll overwhelm me. It is possible, <laughs> all right? Fourth, sometimes communion with God is God revealing uh, his plans or our purpose to us. His plans or our purpose to us, all right? Flip over to Joshua chapter one. 
In Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, and Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Okay? So sometimes God reveals his plans. Hey, Joshua, look. This is what I'm called. Like, you need to go take over. Uh, you need to uh, establish the kingdom of Israel. And I'm going to give you all the Jordan. Here's my plan. And sometimes God reveals purpose. Jeremiah, no, you need to go speak because this is what I've called you to do. Okay? Now, I will admit I'm actually very, very afraid to tell this story I'm about to tell because I've never shared it publicly, okay? Because I don't want people to think that I'm just like some loony. But John Owen and stuff already backed me up, so I'm kind of okay with that, all right? But, um, one, so I was uh, uh, st- late in high school, okay? I've been saved for just a little bit. And I'm sitting there and I, I, I'm, I'm watching Joel Osteen, okay? <laughs> I know, all right? I just said I was young in my faith, all right? Um, if you like Joel Osteen and don't know why I'm saying that, talk to me afterwards. Okay, it's important, all right? But I'm watching Joel Osteen, all right? And I don't really know what's going on. And I think he had just opened up. It was like his grand opening in like the, the Houston, uh, where the Rockets used to play, right? Like he had took his church over there. And so I'm watching this and there's like 20,000 people, you know, and he's like all charismatic. It's like, this is my Bible and smile. And, you know, he's just rocking it, right? And I'm like, oh man, this is whatever, you know. And I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know John Piper or anybody yet. So I'm just watching Joel Osteen, you know? And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, all right, I had this vision, okay? I did not fall asleep, right? I was just sitting there looking at him, and all of a sudden I had this vision. And what I saw was, I saw a, a, a group of people, is what it was, and I couldn't really tell what they were doing, all right? They were, like, taking notes, a couple of them looked like. Some of them were, had something in their hands, and they were, like, kind of, like, nodding or looking, or somebody was sleeping. I'm just kidding, that didn't happen, all right? But there were people there, and it was like I was looking through a camera lens, and then all of a sudden, it was like the camera lens, like, shifted, and it was like I was sitting where they were, and I was looking, and it was me, and I can tell that I was preaching. And then all of a sudden, like, I was looking at Joel Osteen again, all right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, And then out of Joel Osteen's mouth, he said, Scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. Therefore, if you have sickness, you need to have faith that you may be healed. And I started weeping uncontrollably. I'm talking like about 45 minutes, okay? The show had been over by the time I stopped crying. Weeping and weeping. I literally didn't even know why I was weeping. What am I crying about? Like my brain could think logically, but my body couldn't control what was happening. Why am I crying? And all of a sudden, I started thinking, you know, what about the 37-year-old mom that has cancer? And she just heard this huge pastor say, well, if you have faith, you'll be healed. What happens when she dies and she's not healed? What happens to her kids and her husband, who already wrestled in his faith with God anyway? Do they go on and believe? Is that really what that scripture is saying? What about the, the couple that just went through a miscarriage? They didn't have enough faith. What about those who are single and they're 50 and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and they feel like something's wrong with them. They don't have enough faith. Like this is terrible teaching. That's false teaching. And 20,000 people were like, amen, hallelujah, preach it. And it broke me. And after the 45 minutes of weeping was done, I felt like God said to me, do you love me? I said, yes. 
He said, feed my sheep. I knew that was in scripture. I was such a young Christian, I didn't even know where it was. I didn't even know you can use Google yet, all right? So I'm just like flipping through the New Testament, trying to find where it says that, okay? John 21, is, it's Jesus' call to Peter as well, and I see it, and I feel like at that moment, God called me to be a pastor. He revealed part of his plan to me. I went and told my granny, Granny, I, I think I know what the Lord wants me to do. And she was like, oh, what? I think he wants me to be a pastor. She's like, you don't remember when I told you that when you were 12? I was like, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that instance, right? But she like had it journaled down and everything like showed me and it was like, man, God's plans was unfolding. Sometimes when God speaks to you, he unfolds plans and purposes, okay? Now listen, that's a major one. Like that's what my life goal is, right? To shepherd well. Like sometimes God says just even little tiny things. Yes, move to Austin. Yes, take this job. Yes, you can date this person. Yes, I don't know, whatever it may be, right? Sometimes we're looking and looking and looking and God doesn't do that. And so what I don't want to get here is I don't want to get sensational. You know what I mean? Like only dealing with the senses, like only things you can feel. We said that at the start. We want to blow that up. No, it's truth and emotion combining into one. This is what it looks like to follow God to really know him in your inner being, in your hearts, where both of these things collide. And so I've just shared a couple, okay? I've had eight, maybe 10 experiences like that as a Christian, and I've been a Christian for a long time, okay? So this is not an everyday thing. This doesn't always happen, right? But there are times where God's presence overwhelms you and it shifts who you are as a person. You should seek this. This is something that can be achieved in Christ, Christ has already given us that access. We need to now go to him and through him, okay? There are many other things the presence of God does for us. Matter of fact, I cut a ton of them out because I knew I'd be pushing late on time. We're still doing good, all right? I still have a couple more minutes. Don't sleep on me, okay? But I cut a bunch of them out. But there's all throughout scripture. God is speaking all the time in scripture, right? It heals us and destroys us when God speaks, we see. It encourages us and rebukes us. It lifts us out and casts things out from us. It points to and from. It brings joy and fear. It's a beautiful thing, and it's ours in Christ. Lest we think this is only in the Old Testament, Acts chapter 9, 18, 22, 23, 2 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, Revelation 1, and really the rest of the book of Revelation, and all throughout the New Testament, we see explicitly or implicitly the ability for God to commune with his people. Matter of fact, maybe it's even stronger now, because instead of the high priest having to go in, the high priest sits forever for us, who's Jesus. God has given us access. The veil is torn. We can now go into the presence of God, okay? But there's one more I do want to hit on, and it's the one that I think is most uh, predominant, if you will, is that God communes with us through his word. God communes with us through the word of God. God speaks most plainly and most continually with the word of God, with the Bible, we believe as Christians that this book is the very words of God, inerrant in its original form, that, that this is what God would say to us. That's why I always say we don't read this book like a textbook, okay? We read it like 66 love letters that are written to us from God. This isn't a document but a declaration of God's plans, his affections, his purpose, and his will for us. This is an important thing, okay? Look at Second Peter real quick. Uh, I'm about to punch something, man. This verse, this is so good. This is a good verse, all right? This is the last one we're looking at. Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter one, for real. I'm like getting a little bit too hype. Listen, verse one, ready? Gosh, listen to this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. I saw God in astronomical ways, Peter is saying. Like, this is huge, right? Like, I, I've seen Jesus. I, I saw him on earth. Peter saw Jesus in a vision after the resurrection in Acts 10, or, or, or Acts, Acts 8, right? Like, he saw Jesus. He, he had crazy miracles happen to him. He, he saw somebody raised from the dead, all right? He saw Jesus touch people and they were healed. Peter's own shadow healed people. You're a beast when that happens, all right? Like, you are filled with the Spirit of God, okay? He preached and thousands were saved. He touched Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He was rebuked by Jesus on multiple occasions, all right? Like, he knew God. He heard the voice from heaven. If right now the, sky, the, the ceiling split up and God said, hello, well, church, this is what I want, we would all be like, oh, my gosh, right? This is what Peter is saying. And then look. Look at verse 18 or 19. And we have something more sure than if the well building split open right now and we heard the voice of God. We have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have something more sure than if Jesus walked up in here and we all got to touch him. We have the Bible. This is how God speaks most plainly and most continually to us. These are the words of God that give us life. Y'all are saying amen to that man. We have the word, y'all. Like, Seriously. This is an important, important thing. We, we have this. Matter of fact, so you don't look weird right now, okay? But when you go home, like take your Bible and kiss it, all right? And then pray to God and say, God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this gift. We have something more sure. We have the Bible that shows us the words of God. This is how God most continually and powerfully speaks to us. Because these words aren't dead. They're living and active, Hebrews 4 says like a double-edged sword, able to penetrate all of who we are. The words of God are active. God communes with us in these profound ways that we talked about, but man, even more powerfully in the word. Man, that experience I had was awesome, and it really did make me think about ministry, but the word confirming that was what made it true. God showing me what it looked like to be a shepherd was why I got to learn what that looks like. God, me seeing the example of Jesus and trying to emulate that, like this is what actually bred life into it, Right? Like, yes, God speaks in big ways, but man, it happens most frequently through his word. We have the word. So friends, commune with God. Commune with God. Look for him. Experience him. Don't just check in the box. You get to know Jesus. You get to know God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Colossians chapter four, I've been reading Colossians this month. And it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says, hey, look out in prayer. Be watchful. Don't just check in the box. Don't just do what you're supposed to do. Be watchful, be active, be attentive. Don't begrudgingly go in to spend time with God. Like, know that you can commune with the God of the universe who speaks and things come into existence. You can know God if we're watchful. He wants to talk to our hearts. He wants to speak to our minds. God wants to commune with us. And friends, listen, all of this can be experienced because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. The gospel runs full circle here, right? Jesus was separated from God 
whom he had intimacy, whom he had fellowship, whom he enjoyed in perfection forever. Like the Trinity is one of the most beautiful things about it. God is in this perfect relationship with himself. And Jesus had this connection with the Father and this connection with the Spirit. He had intimacy. And when he went up on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He tasted the full wrath of God so that you and I who should taste the full wrath of God can now have intimacy with him. We have what Jesus should have had. And he took on what we should have took on. Because of the gospel, we get this beautiful intimacy. We're now co-heirs with Christ. So unless you think Jesus just knows about the Father in an intellectual way, then you can just keep just knowing God about an intellectual way. But if you know that he knows about God in an intellectual, in an emotional, in an intimate, and in a real relationship type of way, we're now co-heirs. We get that if we believe in Jesus. Friends, because of the gospel, you get communion with God. This is what prayer looks like. Us talking to God, us worshiping him, us asking him for things, us confessing our sin before him and him ministering to us, speaking to us, reminding us of truths, both in his word and even in your hearts, experientially, we can know God. This is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity, by the way, because all of us seek things. We seek joy, we seek peace, we seek love, we seek hope. But we usually have to pay a high price for those things. We have to give up of our body to get the relationship we want. We have to give up of ourselves to work a job a billion hours a week just so we can get paid because we think in money is our hope. We think love will be experienced through this. We think true ecstasy is found in this drug or, or in this alcohol or, or in this addiction. We think that whatever it may be, we, we look in all these other ways. But Jesus already paid the high cost for us. And now everything we look for is free. We just have to believe. Friends, if you believe you have Jesus and you can commune with him, I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truths of Scripture. that we can truly know you in profound ways. 